0: Good morning. I'm Josiah Bancroft. It's good to be with you. Thank you for the introduction earlier. Appreciate it. Uh, The passage we're looking at will be on the screen. It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and following. If you have a Bible, you might turn there. I'll be using the ESV. Since I'll be working through the passage almost verse by verse, I'm not going to read it uh, to begin with, I want to remind you that the church at Philippi was the first church Paul planted when he left Asia. You remember that he got a Macedonian call in Acts 16. A man from Macedonia said, come over here. The Spirit of God actually hindered him or prevented him from going east. And Paul crossed the sea and went to Macedonia, and the first large town he went to was Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a proud military outpost, Um, and Paul preached the gospel there first. Acts 15 says he was looking for people who were praying on the Sabbath, and so he went to the river, and there at the riverside he found Lydia and some other women. Lydia became a believer. She and her family were baptized. Paul began to preach the gospel, and you might remember that the city was in turmoil after he delivered a slave girl from a demon. And they stirred up a crowd against him, and Paul's reward for preaching the gospel was he and Silas were stripped of their clothes, publicly beaten, and thrown into jail. And at midnight, They were singing praises to God. And the most remarkable thing happened. God sends an earthquake. The jail cells open. And uh, the jailer, supposing everybody had run away, was getting ready to kill himself. You remember Paul called out, We're still here? The jailer couldn't believe it. He came to Christ. Brought his family, took Paul home, fed him, took care of him, and the church in Philippi began. Almost like it did here with Steve. Steve, is that about right? Pretty much what happened? You know, so, 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 you know, what an awesome way to start. Now, the book of Philippians, in one way, is deeply ironic. Because Paul is still seeing praises in jail years later. After his missionary work, he is jailed again. They're not positive which time it was, probably from a Roman jail in Rome. And Paul uh, writes to this church that began with a miraculous jailbreak and conversion. He writes to them, Uh, the letter of Philippians. Uh, Does anybody remember what, sounds like children's church, sorry, Uh, but it's okay. Does anybody remember what the theme of Philippians is often said to be? What's the word that describes the book of Philippians? I'm sorry. Thank you. Very good. It's uh, it's a book where over and over again Paul says rejoice. He says uh, talks about his own joy, welcomes the believer into joy, and here again at the beginning of chapter three, I love that he begins by saying finally, halfway through the book, finally sounds like a preacher, doesn't it? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I want you to notice that's actually a command. I want you to rejoice. Isn't it crazy, ironic, Paul still in jail. In jail again, his message to his friends who are not in jail is rejoice. Have joy. uh, And have joy in the Lord. I said earlier, it reminded me of one of my first Bible teachers, a woman named Elizabeth Newbold. My father was her doctor, and when Elizabeth was old and uh, developed cancer, Dad cared for her, and he came back from her hospital room just amazed because people streamed into Elizabeth's hospital room, really to her deathbed. And she counseled them and spoke to them about how to have joy in their lives and prayed with them and sang with them from her bed. Dad was so touched at the power of her continuing testimony. And very much like, uh, that's very much like what you find with Paul. Here he is in jail. He's actually facing death at the end of chapter 1. He says, I don't know if I'll ever die. I hope to come see you again. And yet, what is he saying to his friends and dear friends in Philippi who had stayed with him through all of his journeys? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I want you to notice that when he says rejoice, he uses that phrase, in the Lord because for paul that's a very pregnant phrase it means living in standing in inhabiting christ so that he is your covering he his spirit is within you and that you live your life in jesus that he is the uh, sphere in which you live he is uh, the person who covers you before god he is the person whose spirit propels you. And so in Christ, uh, is, and so we can have joy in Christ. Um, joy is like an indicator. Um, I had to buy a new car recently, another car, and this new thing, uh, it has uh, an indicator light on it. And uh, because it's new, instead of that being just an annoying little yellow light over on the side, Right in the middle of the dashboard, this warning comes up. that says, you must, it's time for maintenance. And you have to press a button for it to go off so you can see anything else on the dash. I love it. (laughs) It's such an improvement. You (laughs) You know, thanks, guys. Just what I needed, another button to push before I can drive my car, you know joy is is a lot like an indicator it is one of the fruits of the spirit as you heard the children say earlier but it it really can serve as an indicator in your life because when your joy leaves something's wrong when your Christian life is uh, dried up when it is not uh, where there is no uh happiness or joy because of your relationship with Christ, where there is no overflow from your life, where there is nothing else to give, where you're living uh, in a hard place in your heart, that's an indicator. It's just like that light on my car. It means you need to respond to that because that's not what God has for you. He has more. And Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Then he warns them about a very specific danger. Now, they had a danger of people coming in and saying, In order for you to walk with Jesus, you need to do the Old Testament rites and rituals. You need to be circumcised in addition to believing in Jesus. I don't believe they were saying instead of Christ, but like a lot of times they were saying, you know, you have Jesus, that's great, but she needs a little more. There's a little more to add to it to make it really work well. And what they wanted to add was the Old Testament rites and rituals, including circumcision, and Paul will have nothing to do with it. Look at his response. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's speaking of these Judaizers that wanted people to uh, obey the outward forms of the law. For we are the circumcision. You don't have to be circumcised physically because your heart has been circumcised in Christ, uh, according to Romans 2. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now there is a threefold definition of what it means to walk as a believer. I worship in the spirit. I glory in Christ Jesus. By the way, the glory, the word glory there could be translated boast, just like in Jeremiah 9. I boast in Christ. I brag about Christ. Um and I do I'm I'm not quite as rowdy or consistent with that as I would like you know I'm an Alabama fan and so I know what cheering is all about except this year not as much not as happy but I'm I'm uh I find cheering for the Tide pretty easy And part of what Paul is saying is that uh, my life should be cheering, enjoying, and boasting about what God has done for me. And I frequently find that easy. I'd like to be more consistent with it. Uh, We glory in Christ Jesus. And then I've underlined this next phrase because it's what I need to hold on to and put no confidence in the flesh because I can find all kinds of things to put confidence in other than Christ alone. But he tells me to put no confidence in my own abilities, to put no confidence in the things that I might be tempted to rely on alongside of Jesus, but to trust in him alone. You know, when I put my trust in these things, uh, it shows up in my life. It doesn't just show up in my life in a loss of joy, but there are other substitutes and difficulties that begin to roll out of me. Uh, For example, um, there's an edge that can come into my life, and I wind up in arguments a lot because my flesh loves to be right. I know none of you have that. I know that uh, you're probably only married to someone like that. But there's this part of me that really wants to be right. And so uh, I've learned, uh, I majored in philosophy, the art of argumentation. So not only am I given to argument, I'm trained to argue well. It was such a blessing to my wife for me to correct her for so many years. She was so excited about it. Actually, she's the opposite. She's very accommodating. And, but when it came to those arguments, she also has a good memory. And years later, when I said, maybe I shouldn't have done that, tell me how that was for you, she was able to back up We went through the successive years of our marriage. (laughs) It was very helpful. Uh, Where did those arguments come from? They came from a heart that not only wanted Christ, but that also wanted to add to him being right. Another problem that I have uh, is... I can be anxious or worry. That's a symptom of me thinking that my ideas and plans, my control would be better for everybody around me. I'm well-intentioned, so I should be in charge. I know a lot, so you should listen, right? And because of those things, it is easy for me to fall into worry or into anxiety when I cannot control things. And you know, when I get in that condition, it's such a help to me to watch the news. Such a relief just to have the news channel on in the background telling me just how awful it is and recommending their idea of what would actually fix it if I would just join their group, whichever one it is. Now, the reason, the reason I mention these things is that they are personal. But if you go into chapter 4, they're also listed there as problems that can happen to us when we lose our joy in Christ and we start to rely on some substitute or some supplement to come alongside of our walk with Christ. Uh, Paul continues by saying, if you think you have some reason to put your faith in the flesh, I have more. Why does he say that? Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists seven reasons that he could have confidence. Confidence. In the flesh. Let's let's count through them. Uh, Circumcised on the eighth day. Remember, that was commanded by God. Second, of the people of Israel, the only tribe in the world that were given the law, that were given God's presence in the Shekinah glory. Third. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the two tribes that did not abandon uh, the right worship. So out of the twelve, only two stayed faithful, and Benjamin and Judah were those two. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. What that means is, I'm not a recent convert. My dad, his dad, his dad were all Hebrews. I have a lineage that I can rely on. Not only that, but I joined the strictest party. That would be the Pharisees. And even among the Pharisees, I was known as a zealot because I persecuted the church. And if you looked at me, you would have to say, as to the righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Now, you know, that's a pretty good boast blameless under the law. Uh, uh, Paul was hard after it. He said, you want to talk about religious credentials? You want to talk about self-discipline? You want to talk about effort? You want to talk about doing it right? I'm your man. Now, what does he do with that? Well, Paul remembers it. It's true. He doesn't deny it or ignore it. But what he does is amazing with it. Matter of fact, why don't we try a little exercise. If you were to trust something other than Jesus or alongside of Jesus, what do you tend to trust? Your background, your education, your self-discipline, your success, your good intentions, your deep understanding of people's motivation, your empathy, what do you tend to rest on alongside of Christ? And Paul says an amazing thing here. But what, in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted, I want you to notice that's past tense, all that gain he just talked about, I counted as loss, for the sake of Christ. And really, that's what you do when you come to Christ the first time. You say, I'm going to trust nothing else but you. I'm going to turn from all these other righteousnesses and unrighteousnesses. Uh, he didn't list the unrighteousnesses here. They're at the end of the chapter. If you'd like to check later, there he says that there are people whose gods, whose God is their belly. And so you can have religious sin and you can have irreligious sin. You can have religious confidence and irreligious confidences. And Paul says, whatever was to my gain, I count as loss. Uh, Some of you are good with numbers. You know the difference between a credit and a debit. And what Paul did is he moved everything that he used to have in the plus column. He moved it not to neutral. He moved it to a minus. He said, it is, I count it as a loss. that's, That's remarkable. Why? I've lost everything that I may gain Christ. That's how you and I started the Christian life. You had to say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Amen? Oh, that was sad. Let me try this again. I know we've had fire drills, children's churches. We've had, you know, Sunday morning we're thinking about... uh Who's gonna beat the patriots ever? I got it. But this morning, when you first came to Christ, you had to count everything lost in order to gain Christ. Amen. 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 It's the only way we come. Do you know what what I see when you say that? It's really remarkable. People started to smile all around the room when they said, Amen. The expression on most of your face, those of you that were remaining awake, you know, those of you that were not looking at your phone, you, you said, you, 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 you smiled. You know, why? You remember your Savior, remember coming, but I want you to watch what Paul does next. Because it's even crazier. I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And look at verse 8. Indeed, I count. Do you see it? It's present tense. I now count. As a believer, as a missionary, in jail having done all this wonderful work in the church having seen churches planted including the one he's writing to what does he say about those things that he could count as gain indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing jesus christ my lord even now in other words the christian life continues as it began it began by you counting everything lost so you could gain Christ as it continue? You count everything as lost so that today, instead of adding something to your record or adding something to what you are trusting, you are trusting now and today in Christ alone because everything else is lost. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You can't know Christ unless you count these things as loss. And when you do not count everything as loss, and when you try to pursue Christ, you have a divided heart and joy leeches out of you. What's the cure? It's a tough one. You have to intentionally, daily, count everything as lost in order to gain Christ. And and he he adds to it For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Of all things. And then he goes even further. Not only do I count them as a loss, I count them as repugnant, rubbish. I uh, talked from this passage in a language school in Costa Rica, and there was a mixed crowd there. There were some Baptists there, and I took a risk and translated it the way the word "scubalan" should be translated. I went back into the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is translated into Greek. The Greek Old Testament uses the word skubalon only one or two times. And one of those times it says, if you skubalon in the camp, you have to dig a hole, put it in the hole, and cover it over. You get the picture? Skubalon rubbish I counted what does he say I count all things as rubbish it's a Presbyterian church I need to to say rubbish (laughs) I, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that there's a connection there I do this so that I may gain Christ today. Now that is a radical solution to your loss of joy. You have to count all things loss and only, only, only hold to Christ as your gain. And as you do that, your hope and your joy... And your expectation revive. It comes alive. And there's some vitality and power to your faith. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from his flesh in any, any way from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so here we have the great promise that when I stand before God today, when I am clothed in Christ alone, I'm not just forgiven. He doesn't just take mercy on me, though he does both of those things. What does this passage say comes true about me because I trust in Christ? God counts me as righteous. Isn't that amazing? I stand before God not only pitied, not only receiving his mercy, not only forgiven. I stand before God right now righteous in Christ. I have a good standing with God, not because I did anything good or bad. I have counted that loss. I have taken all of Christ alone and when I do that, I stand before God Righteous, I did that once for all in my conversion, but I have to re up because I wonder and though it's true of me, I forget it and have to be reminded by counting again today all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ and look at the look at what comes out in paul's life because of it. That depends on faith that I may know him and the power of resurrection and share in his sufferings. Notice that being righteous before God didn't make Paul lazy. It made him pursue the calling of God in his life with with strength. And then he interrupts himself in just a moment. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering. He interrupts his thought and says, I want to know Christ. When all things are lost, I want to know Christ. And pursuing him, what he puts into my life is the fruit of the Spirit so that joy returns and peace and patience and love. Not because I earned them, but because I'm walking with Him. I'm walking in Him. Well, let me skip ahead. I'd like you to notice verse 15. Right before it, Paul says, I haven't attained all these things, but I want to read verse 15 to you because I think it's helpful. 14 says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. What I just described to you is part and parcel of what Paul teaches is spiritual maturity. The ability to count all things lost, to take hold of Christ afresh, and to follow him with some zeal, so that he produces in your life a new way of living. Now, I can screw this up numerous ways. I've got some good news for you. You're different than I am. You screw it up differently. Here's your assignment for the week when love and joy are gone. And you find yourself worried or angry or hard. Ask yourself this question. What am I holding on to instead of Christ? What am I trusting instead of Jesus? Because I want to count that thing loss and trust only Christ. And as you do that, You'll grow in your faith and in His grace. Let's pray together. Lord, these are challenging words. My, to count everything as loss. You know, it just, it seems impossible. And yet, uh, they're really the words that you taught us as well throughout the Gospels. So, Father, I ask that you would help us recognize those things that we trust in self-Christ, that you would give us the strength to confess them as lost and to put them aside and to trust the only provision you've made for us in Jesus Christ that we might find in him the joy of the Christian life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Hear these words of institution, the Lord's Supper from Matthew chapter 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins uh, together. Heavenly Father, loving King, all of our sins are laid bare before your eyes. We promote ourselves and overlook those around us. We have nursed anger and envy and have forsaken your humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. We tie our joy to our circumstances rather than to your gospel. We repent of our fruitless wanderings, And ask that you renew us in Jesus Christ. Let us hear your voice saying, awake and rise. His blood is your peace. His death is your life. His spirit is your power. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And persuade us that a life lived in your service is a life of perfect freedom. Amen. believer, hear the good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Just a few minutes ago, Literally, just a few seconds ago, really, we repented of uh, tying our joy to our circumstances rather than to your gospel. We talk about that a lot around here, I think. I think I talk about that a lot. I don't know if you hear it, but you should. Hear it now. Stop it. Don't tie your joy to your circumstances. But frankly, some of you have circumstances that are devastating. Miscarriages, deaths, infertility, unfulfilled desires, underemployment, unemployment, cancer, heart disease, loneliness. You know, there's a million of them, right? So the truth of the matter is, uh, that's when joy becomes real for us. Joy in Christ. Uh, because when we are at a loss for joy anywhere else, the gospel becomes crystal clear to us and more precious. Because in the end, what those circumstances tell us is, that's really all I have. Now it is big and it is rich and it is full and it is free, but it's all I have, praise God. And when I see it as all that I have, suddenly my circumstances, they may not change, they probably won't change, come into clear focus in the light of the God who lived and died and rose again for me. But for some of you, as I uh, heard your assignment this week about Uh, checking where, the you know, when you're feeling like you're losing love and joy. But for many of you, you can't remember the last time you felt any love or joy. So it might creep up on you and you would be like, what's this? Because for many of us, though our circumstances may not overwhelm us, we're asleep. There's a deadness, a coolness a hardness, a checked outness with life, the world. We put one foot in front of the other. We take another breath, but we're like the walking dead. Awake and rise. There's life in Jesus Christ. That's where joy is found. That's where life is found. That's where love is found. And so you have an opportunity this morning to re-remind yourself of that. As you come forward to take, to eat, and to drink, have your souls nourished, but also have yourself reminded once again, oh, yeah, there is something outside of myself and my life that is dynamic and powerful, uh, that is actually rich and free and full of grace. Jesus Christ lived my life, died my death, rose again for me. That's my hope. That's my life. If you come to that place in your spiritual life where uh, you uh, came to believe that and you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, this Jesus stands before you today and invites you to be renewed, to be restored, uh, uh, to come alive again uh, in the fullness and the recognition of how good he is to you and how powerful he is. His grace and mercy is to dead people like us. Uh, As the elders and deacons come down front to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice. The bread, all of the bread is gluten free.